0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington.
1: Um, and I think then it's time to uh, to hand it off uh, uh, to kick off uh, the first uh, session here which is going to be the panel sessions with the topic AI applications in food delivery, although a lot of the topics and questions that will come up and the use cases will be relevant to many of you, not just food delivery. And we have the pleasure to uh, have on the panel uh, a couple of the leaders from the food delivery companies in the Prosis group, including uh, Dale, the CTO of Swiggy, uh, also Nico, who uh, leads engineering and marketing tech at Delivery Hero, and Sander, the head of uh, data science and AI at iFood, uh, and uh, Euro, the head of uh, Proces AI. And uh, in particular, uh, uh, we also have Sam Sherrington, who's going to be moderating the panel. And for those of you that don't know Sam uh, uh, yet, Sam is a, a very well-known AI ML industry analyst, and in particular, he's known for the Twimmel AI podcast, which is probably one of the most uh, well-known tech podcasts out there, with over eight million downloads uh, and over 400 uh, episodes of the podcast in the last couple of years. Um, so, definitely, I'm a fan, and, and many of you might be too. Um, so, we're we're happy to have Sam join us. And, and maybe one uh, one last note before I hand it over to Sam and the panelists. This is the only event that's actually designed for external sharing. So um, in collaboration with Sam, we are actually recording this panel in preparation to release it as a external podcast on the TwiML AI podcast series. So with that, um, I think we are here joined by Sam. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for dialing in early. Good to see you. Um, Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Um, I hand it over to you. I think you have all the panelists online. Uh, So we'll reconvene uh, at the end. Good luck and have fun.
0: All righty. Thanks so much, Paul, and welcome, everyone. I'm super excited to be here at the Process AI Marketplace event to moderate what is sure to be a really interesting discussion. When we think about the many ways that AI technologies have and will impact the world, one of the most important areas of opportunity is to help meet a very fundamental need that people have, uh, and that is eating. Uh, now, there are lots of ways that ML and AI have been applied to food, from production, to processing, to safety, to logistics, uh, and many more. But today we'll drill down on one particular aspect, and that is helping to optimize various aspects of the last mile problem, uh, that being food delivery. Uh, and I'm joined by four guests today. Uh, as Paul mentioned, these are all technical leaders in billion-dollar businesses in the food delivery industry, uh, operating in various parts of the world. Uh, Euro Binet, head of AI at Euro uh, Euro's based in Amsterdam. Sandor Catano, head of data science at Sao Paulo-based uh, iFood. Nicholas Gannon, director of engineering of marketing technology at Delivery Hero, which is based in Berlin. And Dale Vaz, chief technology officer of Bangalore-based Swiggy. Uh, over the next hour, we'll be we'll be exploring the various ways in which machine learning plays a role in helping these businesses overcome uh, the various challenges that they face. Uh, a couple of quick points before we dive in: uh, Paul mentioned these, but I'll reiterate them. First, the session is being recorded and will be shared with the broader Twimble community via the podcast. And second, I am monitoring the Slack channel that's been set up for this panel. So if uh, at any point you have a question, please drop it into the Slack, and I'll try to make sure that it's answered. Let's start with a quick round of introductions. Uh, I'd like for each of you to take a moment to share just a bit about your role, uh, an overview of your company and the markets that it serves, uh, and a bit about the history of data science uh, at your company. Let's start with you, Euro.
2: Hi, Sam, thanks a lot. So my name is Euro, and I act as the global head of AI data science at Prozus. As a group, we have data science teams in every organization um, across the globe, and a team that works with them all, which is the team that I lead, and is based in Amsterdam. Um, I joined Prozus about two and a half years ago. I worked in this field many, many years before it was called the way it's called now. Um, I have a background as an entrepreneur, an executive, academic, and I still manage to teach courses of data science at university. So um, as it comes to Prosus, we we are a global internet uh, consumer company, and uh, we are now one of the largest investors in the world. And since the listing uh, in Amsterdam, we're actually the largest uh, European consumer internet company. Uh, We serve over a billion uh, customers around the world. Um, What we focus on, which is specific of the way we work, we we focus on great consumer internet initiatives like food delivery, typically by partnering with entrepreneurs, which have a local presence, so great local entrepreneurs that use technology to address big societal needs. And we tend to focus on countries that have a very high uh, long-term potential and we have presence in Central and Eastern Europe and uh, South America, Asia and Middle East. And you see that the panelists are actually a reflection of that geography uh, that we care about. We work in many sectors in classifieds, uh, payment and FinTech, food delivery, education, health care, health tech, uh, and, retail and so on. And actually one of the main reasons why we're here in this panel is that we uh, increasingly put artificial intelligence and machine learning in everything that we do. So. I'm really, really happy that we found the opportunity actually to get together to discuss all this.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Jero. Sandor?
2: My name is Sandor. Uh,
3: I'm Chief Data Scientist of iFood. iFood is a food delivery company in Brazil. We are market leaders here. Uh, we also operate in Mexico and Colombia. And. I've, I've been working in iFood for one year and a half now, and, but the history of uh, uh, AI in, in, in iFood also has the same time because uh, previous to that, uh, we mostly used AI for analytics purposes. So basically, business had a question, uh, somebody pulled all data they, that they put. Uh, build a model, and that model uh, became a suggestion, a recommendation. So do this, do that, and then the business could uh, uh, take that uh, recommendation, and do it, or or just leave it. Uh, when I joined iFood, we basically built a team. We, we started hiring uh, a bunch of people. We acquired uh, uh, some companies, and now the team has a few dozen data scientists, and we're basically applying AI everywhere in the company, from logistics to, to marketing to uh, um, fraud, for instance. Uh, I've been working with AI, like Eero, even before it was called AI or, or, or data scientists existed. Uh, I worked as a consultant for, for a few years, for lots of years. And then I joined a, a fintech company in Brazil, and I'm in iFood since uh, April last year.
4: Great. Nicolas? So he- hello, everybody. I am the director of engineering of the marketing tech department in Delivery Hero. Um, my background is from telecom engineering, actually. And my interesting data came from the time I was working um, in automation, the monitoring of telecommunication networks. And there I realized that many issues, you can detect them earlier um, just by monitoring the traffic in the routers and so on. So from that time came my, my passion with data. Fast forward to Delivery Hero. So I started the marketing tech tribe uh, in Delivery Hero in 2016. At the beginning, it was mostly data engineering capabilities, uh, but then we also started building uh, more capabilities. So a little bit like Sander was saying, um, in our case, it was starting from data engineering. Uh, then we added uh, data science. We also added product backend frontend and so on to be able to build full products. About the company itself, so Delivery Hero is actually a network of 30 brands, that almost 30 brands, sorry. Uh, And the mission that we have is to deliver an amazing experience. We are operating all over the world. So in 40 countries, in South America, Europe, in the MENA region, and in Asia as well, with more than 25,000 employees. And actually 1,500 of them are here in Berlin. Um, But Delivery Hero actually is not only about online food ordering anymore. It's also pioneering quick commerce, which is about bringing household goods to customers uh, as fast as possible and in small batches. So this also we are diversifying here. Um, actually as a group uh, delivery here, we hit 4 million orders per day uh, deliver recently. Wow. And yeah, just a little bit about the organizational approach. So in I think that in Delivery Hero, the way we organize data science is very often we, it's embedded in the squad. So for example, uh, I don't know the, in my case marketing tech, very often we have data science uh, working together with backend front end and data engineers to build full products as opposed to have a separate department. And for this reason, we have basically data scientists in all the verticals of Delivery Hero, all the departments and even in the local entities uh, working with local brands. And that's all about me and Delir here, thanks. Great, thank you.
0: Uh, Dale, how about a little bit about, about your background and Swiggy?
5: Hi everyone, um, this is Dale. Um, I am the Chief Technology Officer here at Swiggy, back in India. Swiggy is a five-year-old company. Uh, we started with the premise of delivering food. Today, we are India's largest on-demand delivery, hyperlocal delivery company. Uh, we deliver food, uh, we deliver grocery, over-the-counter medicines and um, daily essential needs. Um, So within Swiggy, I've been here for two years now. Uh, Before that, uh, I was with Amazon for about 11 years. Um, I was largely based in Seattle, and uh, I was also one of the founding members of the Amazon India AI team. Um, At Swiggy, uh, we have a pretty good team of scientists. Uh, Swiggy has been working on AI for about three years now. Um, And uh, we've organized our AI team into uh, a team that focuses on uh, the here and now business problems around discovery, around optimization for logistics and customer service and so on. And then we have a separate applied research team that focuses on some of our big bets around voice, text, and image processing. So that's about Swiggy and me.
0: Okay, great. Uh, we will be diving into a bunch of the use cases that you all mentioned. But before we do that, uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about the food delivery business. Uh, Euro Process is a leader in food delivery in thirty-six, some 36 markets. Uh, share a little bit of context for the company's interest in, in food delivery. Clearly, it's a significant investment that the company's made.
2: Yeah, yes, it is, and um, it's. Uh, so we're actually very, very excited about the opportunity of food delivery, and we we have been uh, excited for a long time. So first of all, it's um, uh, as you mentioned before, it's one of the most essential needs, right? So uh, we consume it every day, but the way we consume it um, is changing because of many factors, so demographics, urbanization, and so on. And and there is a market where there is a significant consumer spend, and this spend is being disrupted by technology. So there are many things that uh, the characteristics of this food business, which makes us comfortable because it's a sort of environment where we know how to operate. So we have a long history of serving consumers with platforms uh, before in classifieds, but also in payments. So it, it has that element there. And it is a very attractive platform with a massive growth opportunity globally, by the way. It's not in any single country globally, and as, you know, Dale and, and Nicholas and, and also Sandra will pro- probably uh, touch on later, it has many adjacent markets as well. Right? So if you put all these factors together, it addresses a big societal need. It has the element of being disrupted by uh, technology and it has this massive opportunity globally. So that's the reason why we're interested in that. And by the way, we also see that, you know, especially when you look into first party delivery, so when we actually control the entire chain from from consumers to restaurants and so on, um, we have many more touch points with uh, consumers, with restaurants and so on. And that's where data science and machine learning starts getting the real core of what we do. So it is interesting. But it's also interesting because um, we can increase efficiency, make deliveries faster and more reliable and so on through technology and through machine learning and AI. So it has many, many elements that we care about as a group. And, uh, and that's the reason why we, we, we have invested a lot in food.
0: Right. Uh, Dale, help us understand in broad terms the structure of uh, food delivery, how the business works. Who are the players involved and what does it take to really do food delivery at scale?
5: Yeah, so um, food delivery is an interesting business. Uh, it's just another category in the overall on-demand space. So when you think about the on-demand business, it's quite different from the traditional commerce business in the fact that we have three players in the typical on-demand space. There's the consumer, uh, who's obviously looking for a service or a product. There is a vendor or a supplier who's able to provide that service or a product. And then you also have a driver who's also actually providing that service of being able to pick up the product and deliver it to the customer. And all of this is happening in real-time on-demand because the drivers are coming in and out of the uh, network. They may log in, they may log off. Uh, the supply that is in the local store may be available. The supply that in the restaurant may actually be prepared on demand when the order comes in. And the customer, of course, themselves, they come in with different needs through the day and every moment when they come in, they have a different expectation. So when you think about the space of food delivery as an uh, as an abstraction of the larger on-demand uh, business, it's really a pretty complex problem of trying to do real-time optimization, where you're really focusing on optimizing uh, the entire experience in near real time, in on-demand. And you're doing this at a very minute scale. Uh, For example, in e-commerce, if you place an order for something, you may expect to get it in 12 hours, maybe in 24 hours. So from an optimization perspective, the network has 12, 24 hours to be able to optimize to figure out the best way to get that product delivered to your home. Uh, But in the case of food delivery, uh, like in the case of Swiggy, our average order delivery time is around 32 minutes. So literally, you have 32 minutes by which, between which you have to customer placing the order, you have the restaurant preparing the food, you have the driver going over to pick up the food and then deliver the order. And You've got to orchestrate this entire flow within that small amount of time. So with food delivery, it's basically this real-time optimization done at a very micro scale, and then you do it millions of times a day. Uh, depending on the number of orders and transactions you have. So this kind of scale, this kind of complexity is really what's exciting about this business and what what makes it tick. Awesome. Uh,
0: So thus far, we've been talking about food delivery as if it's one problem. Uh, But from our previous conversations, uh, I know that uh, there are a lot of the differences in the way that each of your companies uh, approaches food delivery. And a lot of the uh, what's at the core of those differences are the various challenges that you each face in, in your market. So uh, to help us understand some of those differences, let's explore the markets that, that each of you serve from the perspective of the challenges that they uh, offer your various companies. And we'll start out with uh, Nicholas. Uh, tell us a little bit about the you know, the unique challenges that Delivery Hero faces.
4: I believe that the biggest challenge uh, for Delivery Hero is what I was mentioning earlier, uh, that we operate in b- very different regions. Uh, we have, I mean, they're completely different from economic point of view, cultural point of view, and so on. Um, so for this reason, we have local entities with which own the product and themselves. So we have uh, different uh, applications and web sites and so on. So the way you order is slightly different uh, from one entity to another. and um, This also um, creates the need of having local teams, especially uh, regarding data science, because they will need to optimize for their particular use case. And um, in, my, in my case, uh, as I, you know, in, for marketing tech, uh, what we can see is that uh, different regions have different responses to the marketing activity. so in some areas they can be very sensitive to social media for example Uh, in some areas they can be very sensitive to vouchers and um, this makes pretty hard to for example if you want to build a model to optimize marketing spend to have a single model that works for everyone that's probably our our main challenge right sander
3: well in brazil as as i said before, we are uh, market leaders here by a big margin, which means that uh, most of our challenges are to keep growing, uh, but that growth comes from, uh, of course, new customers that never tried food delivery before, or, uh, and this is the most difficult part, a change in habits, right? So how people uh, usually uh, use food delivery services. Also, we have, and I'm not sure if this is also true for the other countries, but we have two ways of working with delivery. As Iroh said before, you have the first-party delivery where the iFood does everything, basically. We place the order and we find someone to do the delivery for you. But we also have what we call marketplace in which the restaurant operates their own uh, a fleet of uh, delivery people. Right, So both markets have different dynamics. In in one of those markets, we are basically optimizing everything uh, from end to end, from the the way we do recommendations for you to the way we're going to do this delivery and when. And on the other, uh, we also do the recommendations, but we we basically lose track once the order is placed. So how do we make sure that the experience for the customers is the same or is, is equal? Right? Awesome.
0: And Dale?
5: Yeah, um, we see a lot of interesting challenges, but also opportunities uh, for tech uh, in the space in India. Um, I think the biggest need that we have is when we're trying to build this entire system, you've got to model the real world into data, right? And that's the biggest challenge where if you look at India, you're trying to somehow control and bring in standardization into this extremely complex process of people moving across and preparing food in real time, drivers trying to navigate traffic and traffic jams, rains that cause people to stop and pull over. There may be local events happening on the ground that may block roads. There may be 20 people walking into a restaurant, so the restaurant kitchen gets overloaded with stress and unable to deliver their order. And among all of this, you have the customer who is really hungry and really waiting for his or her food to arrive. So she's getting anxious. So you're trying to basically control this entire, uh, lack of a better word, chaos uh, through systems and data. And you're trying to make sure that you're getting it right every single time. And every single time, you want to make sure you get a perfect order. So for us, the biggest challenge is how do you model the real world into data? How do you make sure you get as close as possible to what's happening on the ground? Model those inputs so that you're able to predict much better and be able to control this network very well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So now let's dig into some of the key ML and AI use cases and and how each of you approaches them. And we'll start with uh, recommendations. And in particular, Dale, uh, tell us a little bit about the way that you approach recommendations for food delivery at Swiggy. You know, you mentioned that in your background you came from Amazon. Uh, that's a company that you know does a ton of recommendations. Is this a, a do you approach recommendations similarly in at Swiggy and in food delivery, uh, or is it a you know a very different uh, set of requirements?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting um, question um, because you know when I was also thinking about moving from Amazon to Swiggy, um, I had the same question in my mind that after having worked in Amazon for 11 years and having kind of worked a lot on their uh, e-commerce platforms. Uh, The question I had was, how different could this be from what's already been solved? Uh, And it's actually a pretty interesting space. And it goes back to the fact that this is an on-demand dynamic environment. Uh, When we look at recommendations, uh, there's a traditional world of saying recommendations is based on what customers want. So you've got customer relevance-driven recommendation. If you like pizzas and you purchase a lot of pizzas, maybe we show you more pizzas the next time around. Maybe we sprinkle a bit of burgers to give you some variety in your uh, selection, right? And that's kind of how typical recommendations work. Uh, but in the case of um, a food delivery platform, uh, there's a lot more than uh, just the customer intent that you have to match. You've also got to consider the intent of the restaurant and you've got to consider the intent of the driver. So when you think about the restaurant, you've also got to factor in things like uh, the restaurant's uh, you know, preferences, for example. Is this restaurant actually a good restaurant in being able to deliver pizzas? Uh, what kind of stress in real time is the restaurant under? Do they have a backlog of orders that may actually make them hard for taking on more orders? Uh, what kind of cancellations do we, we see at that restaurant? Have we seen a lot of cancellations in the past? If so, maybe we dropped that restaurant dynamically in the listings. Similarly, on the driver side, you know, we are looking; we are constantly monitoring the available drivers we have in the fleet as drivers are getting off their current tasks and getting ready for the new task, we also are trying to measure in real time the capacity we have in the fleet. So when you think about all of this, there's the combination of customer needs, there's a combination of restaurants and their dynamic stress levels. There's the combination of drivers and the, and the dynamic capacity levels. And all this comes together in real time. Now you overlay on that, uh, the additional complexity of time and, and space. What that means is uh, as a customer, if you open the food delivery app in the morning, you intuitively want uh, to eat breakfast items. So you're looking for a breakfast uh, restaurant. Same customer opens the app at at lunch hour, is intuitively looking for lunch, uh, right? And similarly at dinner. So from a time perspective, even the time of day that the customer chooses to open the app and visit that page also impacts what recommendations we make to the customer. Similarly, from a space perspective, the location that the customer uses to access the app also matters. If you are accessing the app uh, from home, you may be more uh, okay with having something more indulgent, something a little, maybe a cheat meal if you're interested. Uh, but if you are uh, opening the same app from the office, you may actually be looking for something that's easy to eat and quick to consume. And so similarly, we have to apply time and space into this mix. So when you think of recommendations in near real time, uh, every time you open the app, we're actually running a bunch of complex algorithms and ML models that is dynamically ranking Restaurants for the consumers basis all these different you know, requirements. And the key part, uh, the realization that we had in Swiggy was uh, when we build a ra- ranking function, you're not really ranking it for any one party. You need, need to necessarily solve uh, ranking and relevance and recommendations for multiple entities for the customer, for the restaurant, and for the driver, which, which took us to a, di- a direction where we recently pursued over the last uh, nine months. Uh, we've moved into using multi-objective functions for uh, ranking and relevance. Um, And the interesting bit here is, you know, when you think of a multi-objective function, you're trying to optimize uh, across different objectives of different criteria. So that's more traditionally what an optimization function would do uh, in a constrained problem-solving world. And trying to bring that to a real-time world where you have to run this optimization at scale is a real hard problem to solve. Uh, for example, uh, some, our ads, uh, we should display our ads around 200,000 queries per second. Uh, and each um, response has to have a latency of less than 100 milliseconds. So within that 100 milliseconds and 200,000 times per second, we've got to be able to rank restaurants and show the right ads to uh, the customers. And so the challenge we had was to take what is, a, in some sense, a hard OR problem and convert that to an online version of a a multi-objective function. And we've actually done that. We've got uh, two models live in production. Uh, We run multi-objective functions right now for our homepage. Uh, We run it for ads, uh, and then we also have it for search. Uh, We're also working on something that's pretty exciting, um, looking at a Lagrangian adoption, uh, where we convert the constrained problem-solving to an unconstrained problem space and add a penalty function. Uh, to uh, to compensate for that. Uh, we will actually be looking to open source uh, this uh, solution when we have this ready in uh, maybe a few months. So that's a, uh, kind of what we're up to here at Swiggy with uh, trying to balance multiple
3: objectives.
0: You mentioned that one of the challenges was getting the multi-objective, getting this all to, to scale uh, in the, the time constraints that you need to uh, serve results. How did you go about doing that? Did you do a lot of pre-computation or was there some other technique that was used?
5: I think we, we broke away from the um, standard approach of uh, trying to run uh, like a professional solver. So you think about a solver, like an OR solver like Groby, Uh, where you essentially run um, a batch and you keep trying to optimize within that batch. So we broke away from that. I think one of the interesting solutions was to go from trying to apply a constraint-solving, problem-solving space to uh, actually convert that to an unconstrained problem-solving space, which reduces the complexity. Uh, But then uh, when you add uh, a penalty function to that, you're able to compensate for the lack of efficiency in that. Uh, So I think applying the concept of Uh, looking at this from an optimization space, but not necessarily using traditional OR is what we've done. Um, We won't be able to talk specifics, um, obviously, because this is a public um, um, uh, um, podcast. Uh, But um, I think um, some of the uh, ideas, we most likely will open source and share them over a blog post in a few months uh, once we've got more data to share. Awesome.
0: Uh, And and Sander, one of the interesting things that came up in our uh, prior discussions was that uh, this whole uh, multi-objective optimization uh, approach was something that you looked at at iFood, but uh, ultimately aren't using today. Tell us a little bit about what you ran into
3: and in trying to apply it. So, yeah, we looked at uh, into this um, kind of optimization, but um, as I told you guys before, we... I've, in iFood, we are uh, market leaders, big margin, and our growth comes from changing behavior of customers, right? Uh, and what it means is that when, I, when we got new customers coming from expanding to newer cities in the country, or uh, uh, this, this, uh, most of the, the, the high-income customers are already using the app. So each batch of new customers that comes into the app it's like their income uh, is a little bit lower. So we have to shift our offerings uh, to match this uh, new type of customer that we are exploring. So basically, uh, iFood started uh, a few years back and most of it's consumer-based uh, is in Sao Paulo, which is part of Sao Paulo, uh, Rio de Janeiro, Belo Horizonte, right? And it starts expanding to uh, uh, smaller and smaller cities uh, with different uh, uh, and in most cases, lower incomes. So you bring this new batch of customers and what happens is we know little of them, right? We know what a good offer looks like in uh, Sao Paulo, uh, in Pinheiros, which is a a wealthy uh, neighborhood in Sao Paulo. But we don't know if that same offering holds in other parts of the country, uh, in Northeast or North of the country. So everything in iFood is optimized for speed, right? And we treat uh, um, recommendations with uh, a lot of respect in iFood because, and I, I, I usually use this analogy, is if you're listening to music and Spotify uh, makes a wrong recommendation for you, you skip it, right? So, okay, next song. If we make a bad recommendation for you, well, there goes your Saturday, right? So you have family over friends and that food is not good. So you're never going to use this. So it's compared to music, so uh, low frequency usage and you have few shots. And as Theo said, it varies with your day. It varies with uh, the week and even the month, right? So what we saw, Uh, is that this new kind of customer coming in, they have constraints on uh, income. So we started seeing way more variation on their behavior inside of the month. So in Brazil, it's common for workers to have uh, what's called meal ticket. So you have your own salary, and then you have an extra, that's your meal ticket, that can only be used to buy food. So what we see is people start buying food, let's call it normally, at the beginning of the month, and that dries out at the end of the month. So we're, we're starting to see a, a, a different seasonality in the behavior of the customers because of these new customers coming, right? So setting up the, the, the stage, we have this change in behavior, and then in iPhone since everything is optimized for speed. We have teams competing against each other, or not competing, but to trying to disrupt each other for different strategies. So, as I mentioned before, we have two kinds of uh, marketplaces. We have first party, where we do delivery, and we have marketplace. We also have some restaurants that uh, we, we, we might want to show the customers because they, they are exclusive to, to iFood. And we have, of course, your preferences. And we, we have the way we want to. Give you a nudge to change your behavior. So in my case, I always buy pizza same place at Saturdays. How can I food uh, uh, give you a nudge so you can start buying uh, uh, lunch right on I don't know Thursday or Wednesdays? So pick these multiple teams. Each team uh, working on a specific part of the app and. Uh, This changing dynamics from our customers, and that's a nightmare to to try to put it all in one algorithm. So what we created is is a platform in which we can put uh, as many models as we want and put them uh, on specific parts of the app. And each team is trying to optimize their own part. Each uh, algorithm can be combined by a, 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 a linear combination of weights. So you can oh let's pump, uh, uh, let's try to, to lower logistic costs. So you pump uh, the weight in logistics. Oh no, let's try to 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 get as many orders as we can as we can. Or let's put more uh, exclusive restaurants on the top. So we we manually. Uh, uh, change the weights according to the business definitions. And the business definitions change. So we have COVID changing everything for us, right? So we 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 can very fast uh, move directions and, and um, choose whatever is working right now. As we do it, we get more data on these new customers, and then we can build even bigger and better algorithms. So this is a way of exploring the boundaries of the data, right? So we never saw what the customer in the north likes, and since it's it's a very hyper localized market, it's not that we can take the offers in São Paulo and just give them in the north, right? We have to find whatever is look like São Paulo they might like. Even the names of the dishes are different in different parts of the country. So this is a, a, a real let's call it a mess that we we try to solve <laughs> with speed. Yeah, well, it, this yeah. is the the, the beautiful part of it, right? The beautiful part of the food delivery business and react to speed. So
0: there's a bit of a trade-off in the, your agility and ability to respond and attack these emerging sub-markets that prevent you from building kind of a a Uber set of models to go after them, that's what I'm hearing.
3: Yes, we would love to have this Uber set of models, but uh, uh, the country, uh, since we go deep in the country, because of our size, we have to react fast. And even the culture of the company, the culture of the company is disruption. So we're always trying to disrupt ourselves and build better uh, uh, and bigger products, right? So we have to move fast to, to follow the business side of the company also. And it has been working pretty well for us.
0: Right. Uh, Sandro, you mentioned in there uh, logistics um, a- as one of the areas that you're building these these targeted models. Can you talk broadly about the role that logistics plays uh, at iFood a- and specifically how you're uh, attacking logistics problems with uh, ML?
3: Yeah. So. Uh, as i said before two markets uh, let's call it uh, a quarter of the market is done by us so a quarter of all deliveries are done by ifood uh, and we control end to end all the deliveries so previously we, we we were very uh, or focused in which you, you you pick an order you match a, a rider rider goes to restaurants then goes to customer so basically one shot optimization but to be more efficient, we know that we have to uh, group orders, right? So if you group more orders, you fit more orders inside of the bag, you could potentially, well, you, you would lower costs and you also lower average time of delivery because everything is more efficient. Uh, best thing you could do is basically you wait a little bit. So you hold orders for a few minutes. Then you run optimization process that tries to bundle uh, as much as orders as we can. So let's say we can uh, group uh, two, three orders inside of the same route. So that's how we did before. We started putting uh, models in production to try to optimize for this. so starting uh, looking at ETA, and then we started breaking out ETA for its components. so knowing how much time it would take to cook a specific dish help us uh, lower the time uh, a rider is idle. So nobody wants to be idle waiting in front of a restaurant, and nobody wants uh, the food to be cold. So we have, we, by estimate how, much, how long it would take to cook the dish, you just send the rider perfectly to that restaurant at the exact time. Right? And that is just uh, the delivery part. Okay, we started doing we this, started optimizing, and then, we, for the past uh, uh, four to five months, we started rewriting our own uh, delivery process. Right. So what we do is we, we rewrote the delivery system, and now we're able to break an order on its components. So what we do is uh, like a video game. Go to this place, and then the rider goes to a restaurant. And then while the rider is going to the restaurant, we, we keep running the optimization to maybe if we find an, a, another route that optimizes the whole process, we might send the, the rider to the different restaurant or go complete the order or go wait a little bit, or or we can change the route on the fly the way we we, we do now. So now that we have this new system, we've also built a simulator in which we can place as many models or optimization process inside of the simulation, play with those uh, uh, parameters or, or even algorithms. So we find the best set of parameters that could be used place them in reality and run them for one, two weeks, or even days, right? So by having this logistic system that splits the order in pieces and the simulator, we can speed up by a lot our our, our optimization process. And the the, the cool thing is the the more we run this, we can apply different algorithms to find the parameters. And we know that the the best, for now, the best way to optimize logistics is basically tweaking parameters. So instead of doing one parameter per time, we can do multiple uh, parameters in their combinations because we're doing basically for free in the simulator. This, this, this is how we, 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 we approach logistics recently.
0: And Dale, are you doing something similar at, at Swiggy?
3: Yeah, we um, we broadly have a very
5: similar approach. Uh, we look at the breaking down the different legs of the delivery as Sandor talked about and building time series based predictions for individual legs. Um, and then you feed that into an optimization algorithm that then starts to weight way between customer experience, the cost of delivery, uh, as well as other criteria. Uh, for example, um, in India, a big, portion of the variability comes also from the driver itself. Uh, So if the driver has been in the system for some time, uh, then their chances of doing an on-time delivery is higher. Or if the driver has even delivered to a certain um, customer address before uh, or or area, pin code, uh, their chances of delivery are much better. So we also look at driver familiarity uh, with the area as another criteria, as an example of a criteria that feeds into this assignment algorithm. Now beyond that, though, what's uh, something that we're doing in India, which is to build uh, what we call Swiggy Maps, uh, which is essentially uh, our version of the last, last mile. So when you think of Google, Google does an amazing job uh, with being able to, you know, kind of help people go from point A to point B. Uh, and then you have real-time information like uh, traffic um, and road road conditions and so on. So that's what Google does really well. And we think that's best done by Google. Um, But then when we think about uh, the last last mile, which is from the time the driver reaches the location till the time they actually reach the door of the customer, there's an interesting amount of complexity that goes on there. And especially so in places like India, which is extremely dense and very poorly marked uh, addresses. So for example, uh, many apartment complexes may have two entry gates. One gate's on one end, the other gate is on the other end. uh, And they insist that, uh, drivers and any people doing commercial delivery use uh, the commercial gate, but when a driver shows up and when you look at the gate address in uh, Google, it'll show you the address that most uh, residents take because that's what's most heavily trafficked, right? So it'll ask you to go to a certain gate. When the driver shows up, the security people at the at the gate ask them to go all the way around uh, the campus and show up at the back of the campus. And that means he's spending five, six minutes in kind of navigating and parking and again, going back and all of that. So when you think about uh, the last last mile and you think about a driver right now, the driver is pretty much left helpless from the time they see the pin on the map till the time they actually have to reach the door uh, because uh, the pin doesn't really tell them how they need to get to that customer or even to that restaurant's location. So with Swiggy Maps, uh, we are kind of taking all the, uh, uh, the geospatial data that we instrument uh, from our drivers' devices, and we are building algorithms to basically do a couple of things. One, uh, you've got to understand the customer's address. Um, so you want to know which address the customer is referencing. And that's interesting in India because addresses are unstructured. And there could be you know, 10 different ways in which you can describe the same building. Uh, you can describe it based on landmarks, you can describe it based on roads, you can describe it near the, the, the temple behind the tree, uh, and so many different ways. And they're all pretty good ways to actually get to that place. But for a system, we need to be able to understand that address, we need to be able to extract structure from that address. So one part of that Sugi Maps team is basically trying to understand, given a free form address, how do I understand which locality does this address belong to, which Uh, point of interest does this um, address belong to, right? And that's a whole set of algorithms focusing a lot more on the combination of natural language understanding around the text of the address itself, as well as being able to try to create a hierarchy, if you may, uh, within that uh, address structure. The second set of problems in Swiggy Maps is saying now that you know the address, uh, you're starting to look at where the driver is, uh, is, is traveling. And now you've got to figure out is the point that the driver is at, the point of delivery. So when you look at the lat long of the, of the driver, are they actually at the address you're, you're supposed to be at? And so now you've got to figure out from the location ping data that you get, how do you cluster that location ping data to understand which specific lat long on the map is the driver at? And location data is extremely variable. Uh, you, know, you get anything between a 50 meter um, radius accuracy when you're looking at a, a GPS. And so we, there we apply a lot of uh, algorithms. We use, for example, uh, scan, uh, which is a density-based clustering algorithm uh, to be able to cluster the points of the drivers and when they reach the address, so that when you cluster the point and you combine that data set with accurate information, we're able to actually identify the precise gate of the, uh, of the, of the apartment. So we've got these models running where, uh, for a meaningful number of our uh, of our apartment complexes, we can accurately identify the gate to which the driver needs to come based on all the previous driver locations and the pings that they've had to that specific address. So for us, Swiggy Maps is an area where we continue to invest in it. The intent of Swiggy Maps is to actually be able to provide drivers um, high quality information about the last last mile, give them information about entry points and so on, and that I think will help augment uh, our experience uh, from an on-time delivery perspective. It'll also help reduce the driver pain that they have experienced when they're trying to deliver to a new address. Um, that's one interesting bit. Uh, the second interesting bit uh, we are also working, working on is trying to figure out how do we do uh, perfect auto delivery. Uh, and this goes into trying to reduce some of the uh, anomalies that we see uh, during delivery. Um, and, they, and I think um, it's probably true for most places, but in India, we also see a lot of cases where Uh, You have um, drivers uh, who, you know, deliver food, but maybe the customer did did not receive it. And so you have a claim for a refund and you've got to figure out who is uh, at fault here. And so you're trying to figure out how do you make sure you identify is there somebody abusing the system? Uh, And there it's really about trying to detect anomalous behaviors uh, among our drivers. Uh, If you can, you know, think about the scale. At some point, um, we we had more than 200,000 drivers on our fleet So each of these drivers are delivering multiple orders in a given day uh, to millions of customers. You're trying to figure out among all those different customer contacts coming in, which of these customer contacts are truly because there was something wrong versus which percentage of these contacts were because somebody is trying to game the system. Uh, And the the gaming could be the customer trying to game the return policy. It could be the driver who may actually not have delivered, but claim to have delivered. And in some cases, it could also be the restaurant who may have said that they put the item in the bag, but didn't really put the item in the bag. So there are a lot of different variables in this, and there's one big area where we're working on and trying to really get a handle of trying to figure out where do we have abuse to ensure that we're providing a great experience to our customers while also trying to minimize abuse in the entire delivery chain.
0: Great. I I imagine uh, each of you have uh, abuse and fraud prevention use cases that we can talk about uh, but I do wanna make sure that we spend a little bit of time talking about uh, various marketing use cases as well. Nico, uh, can you share a little bit about how you're
4: approaching marketing use cases at uh, Delivery Hero? Yes, yeah, sure. So many people are not familiar about the amount of data and tech you use in marketing, um, but we have pretty interesting use cases as well. Um, and I have a few examples. For example, um, there is a the big problem or the big challenge of uh, allocating the market the marketing spend um, in the case of Delivery Hero for example and um, the first half of the year we spend almost 300 million euros in marketing and then the question that we have here is how do we allocate this amount of uh, money across all the different local entities that we have across all the countries and then at the second level how do we allocate for each country the budget for the different marketing channels so for example how much goes to Facebook, how much goes to Google, uh, to TV, and so on. So in order to do that, of course, you can use some models and some optimization on top of it. Uh, We can talk later a bit more about that if you want. Uh, But the basis of that is actually to have strong measurement. Um, You cannot optimize if you don't know, actually, what is the effect of your marketing spend. And um, measuring the effect of marketing actually has also its own challenges. So. I guess that most of the people in the audience, when they think about marketing, they will think about online marketing, uh, about uh, search results, about banners and so on. Um, but actually, this is only the tip of the iceberg. We still have a more classical channel. So we still have uh, TV. We still have radio. We have billboards uh, on the streets and so on. In this case, it's really, really challenging to know what is the effect of this particular campaigns, because there are no clicks. Uh, you cannot really see how many people were looking at these ads, how many people would have ordered um, because of that. So um, there are some models that can help you uh, with measuring that. Uh, even with online uh, marketing, um, there, are, there are some challenges as well. You can collect data from the marketing partners. For example, you can ask Google, OK, um, this particular campaign that I was running, uh, which was about displaying this banner, uh, they can tell you every day how many how much you spend how many people look at this even how many people click on it and even if you send uh, i mean because you have a partnership with them they can also tell you how many conversions or how many people order that click on this ad and the problem is that you don't know if they order because they click on this ad or because they had already seen uh, your brand on tv before or because they actually have even a journey over different online channels so for journeys that are over different online channels there is a way of tracking and attribute an order to a specific person and saying okay so this person uh, ordered with us because first they saw a campaign in facebook then they made a search in google and they clicked on the result and so on um, and this is what we call an attribution model uh, so which we we give weights to different marketing partners but we are still missing the picture about uh, everything that is offline and you and also, sometimes you miss a little bit the causality of what uh, led to what action. So these are this is one of the big problems that we have in in marketing. And uh, the way we solve this is both measurement actually and um, and the marketing budget optimization is with a lot of time series modeling. And um, we basically uh, stru- structural time series models in which you can differentiate. Um, How many orders are due to basically the natural growth of your company? How many are due because of seasonality? I don't know, maybe during holidays, people order more or less. Or during weekends, people order more. And then you can also impute uh, the effect of marketing. You can do it in different ways. Like You can put all the spend of all your marketing channels, and then you can optimize on that for your whole country. Or if you are interested in just a campaign, you can have also some techniques uh, which combine time series with splitting people in a test and control group um, but of course uh, we don't have control of the individual people that will see an advertisement on the streets or even in online channels. We we just know about the total number of people but we don't know who saw an ad and who didn't. And uh, So in order to do this kind of pseudo AP test um, what you need to do is split the customers on your side and one of the big tricks that we use is actually to do geographical splitting. We, okay. Basically, you show advertisement to people that are living in a region. Of course, this also works offline. So you can talk with, you can put only advertising in one part of the city and use the rest as a control. Um, It's not as simple as I'm saying. So actually, what you do is you use a lot of areas in which you are not showing advertising to build a counterfactual. And then the areas in which you are actually uh, running the advertisement, this is the the test group. Um, Got it.
0: Got it. Super interesting stuff. We're running short on time. We had a ton of questions come in uh, just in the last few minutes. We're not going to get to most of them, but to help us wrap up, uh, really interesting question that I'd like to direct your way, Euro. Talk about the future here, and are there any moonshots that ML and AI enables for food delivery? In what you're seeing in these businesses?
2: Well, so the um, actually there are many. And, uh, and, and the teams, all the teams here, actually work on their own moonshots and then you know the, the, the combined moonshot and so on. Um, I think there are a couple of things that we really, really care about. And by the way, you might have seen during the conversations, um, you know, there are several traits which are the, the same, and then there's some things that are really different, right? So, I mean, if I look at the moonshots across the entire, let's say, businesses here. So, so a couple of them, for instance, it's the entire idea of how do we augment the data that we have in such a way that we can do everything that we do a lot better. Now, it might not be called a moonshot, but in any case, the last meter maps that Dale mentioned, I mean, that's a big deal, right? Because essentially you create throughout by essentially by leveraging the behavior of your riders, the drivers, you just create a level of detail in the, in the mapping, right, that nobody else has, right? So this is a big deal because based on that one, then you can actually build any other adjacency around this, right? You can see some of these things also in many other ways. For instance, if you want to recommend well, you really have to know exactly what the dishes are, for instance. And restaurants sometimes are good. They describe well what they sell. Sometimes they are not, right? So how do you actually make sure from the information you do get, you extract everything you need to be able to to recommend that kind of thing? So in between, for instance, we use a lot of, let's say, uh, GP2-like models or eventually GPT-3 models to find out from the, the description, from the image itself, how do we actually describe what's the content of these dishes? So these kinds of things, which are you know being tested at this moment and delivered to some level of scale, they make a big difference. Now, the other thing that we look at very carefully, I think I'm personally very interested is, how do we reorganize the data in a different way by using food knowledge graphs? So instead of, let's say, uh, quote unquote, more traditional, let's say, transaction logs type of data, organizations how do we actually look at the connection between user dishes the content of the dish restaurants and all this kind of thing because by doing that for instance you can narrow down recommendation a lot better you can find similarities across multiple dimensions which make it possible to essentially design um, let's say recommendation even application which you're really 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 tuned and sharp on the single individual so that in itself it is something that we are not the only ones doing. So many other companies are working on this domain for a long time. But I haven't seen this in the food business done at scale the way that we like to do it. So it's an interesting thing. And then we are working together to make sure that uh, this happens. There are many others, right? I mean, just all the experiments. Um, in food uh, delivery and uh, with robotics and so on. So we could talk for days and hopefully Sam, we have another opportunity for doing so. But I also see that Paul is on stage so we might want to give him <laughs> the floor back.
0: Absolutely. Uh, this was a, a great conversation and you' I think you hit on what made it really interesting. You've got these teams uh, working on what in many ways are the same problem but each of them have their own local flavor due to the, the micro differences in their markets uh, made this a really interesting uh, set of problems and a really interesting conversation. Uh, And now uh, I'd like to return this to Paul.
1: Thanks, Sam. Thanks,
0: everyone, for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks you, uh, Sam, Sam. Sam. Thanks, everyone. I think it was a fascinating discussion uh, talking about the challenges and, and scale, uh, that the challenges that, that scale and complexity bring uh, to this kind of uh, problem. So uh, great uh, start of the event. So thank you all for joining.
3: All right,
0: everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit TwimmelAI.com.